Near the end of Jesus' time here on earth, the Pharisees and religious leaders were bound and determined to discredit him. They were convinced that uh, those who were the intellectually uh, the smartest and those who appeared to be most zealous for righteousness ought to have the respect of the people. And so in their attempt to win back the respect that Jesus had taken from them, they set about to spring a trap in which to catch Jesus in an intellectual conundrum. Now, they were sneaky about this. They didn't come right out and ask him. Instead, they sent their disciples, the disciples of the Pharisees, and they came to Jesus and they began by flattering him. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a righteous man, a man of integrity, and that you're not concerned with what people think, that you always do the right thing. Having flattered him thus, they then sprung the trap. And the trap was this. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, it's interesting that these Jewish Pharisees, in an attempt to intellectually discredit Jesus, chose a political question to ask him. You see, for a Jewish person, they're in a very difficult situation. They're living at that time in the land that God had promised to them, but they were living under Roman occupation. And the question of what is the proper relationship of a Jewish person to the Roman government, albeit through taxes or whatever it may be, was one of the most difficult intellectual questions of the day. Some people argued that the only proper response was rebellion, to fight against the Roman government. Others argued that the proper response was complete separation, to pull back and have nothing to do with the state whatsoever. Some argued that the best choice was simply to embrace the political reality the way it is, to simply say, this is how life works, let's jump in and make the best of it. And for a Jewish person at the time, the relationship between the people of God and the political powers that be was an intellectual question that was fraught with danger and difficulty. That's why the Pharisees chose that question to try to trap Jesus with. The question of how the people of God relate to the state remains one of the most difficult questions there is to answer. That even though we today live in the world that God created and created for us, that this world is no longer under God's direct control. It is under, according to the scriptures, the control of the evil one. And that raises the question for the people of God, how are we to relate to those who are in positions of political power and authority? How are we as Christians who belong to Jesus supposed to connect to the politics of this world and the states uh, that are in existence? For example, what should Christians think about the Affordable Care Act? What should our response to that be? How should we react if you're a teacher in a public school and you're being told you're not allowed to talk about Christmas? 
What should our engagement and reaction be? How should we engage with police and judges and elected officials who are not Christians? Well, when Jesus gave his answer to the question the Pharisees were trying to trap him with, Peter was there listening. And Peter took Jesus' answer and has formulated a set of principles by which Christians can engage in the righteous way in the political world in which we live. We want to look at those principles this morning. So if you have your Bible, would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's page 981. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now before we look at our specific section, we're going to be in verses 13 to 17 this morning. I want to go back and remind us of where we are in the epistle of 1 Peter, where we are in the letter. Sometimes you come here week after week and we go through passage after passage, but sometimes it can be easy to lose the forest because of the trees. And I want to set the passage we're going to look at in the context of the larger letter in which we find it. If you were here last week, you, were, may, you may have remembered that we had a very important teaching, although it was wrapped up in sort of a children's sermon. And the important teaching was we were looking at God's plan to rescue the world. And if you were here, you may remember that I said there were three steps to that plan. Let's see how well you remember. Step number one was God chooses. Very good. Step number two we obey. And step number three, God uses our obedience to save others. Great. Nice job. I feel very affirmed. (laughs) This is God's plan to rescue the world. God chooses. We obey. God uses our obedience to save others. Now, we looked at verses 11 to 12 of 1 Peter 2 to find that pattern But it's not only in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12. That structure is actually how Peter has set up his entire epistle. Let me show it to you. The first section of 1 Peter, 1 Peter, verse number 3, chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 12. You see what the NIV has uh, as a heading there? Praise God who's given us birth into a living hope. It's all about how God has chosen us. He has chosen to give us new birth into a living hope. That's step one. God chooses. From chapter 1, verse 13, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, these are instructions that Peter has given us about how we're supposed to live as a chosen people that we're supposed to set our minds on the hope that is to come to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to fear God. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to grow up in our salvation. And then Peter tells us that God's not just interested in individuals who are obeying, but creating communities of obedience. That's chapter 1, verse 13 all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. That's step two, we obey. Step one, God chooses, first part. Step two, we obey, next part. Now in verses 11 and 12 of chapter two, 
Peter is now transitioning into the third stage or the third step in the process of God rescuing the world. And he talks about how, see how the section says at the beginning, you can see how your NIV has entitled it, living godly lives in a pagan society. God saves others through our obedience. And what Peter is going to do is take the general principle and apply it to three specific situations. The first is our relationship to the government, to the state. That's what we're going to look at this morning. That's verses 13 to 17. The next one is how we behave and obey God in the workplace. That's verses 18 through 25. And then Peter's going to apply these principles to the family life, to the home in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. All of this is related to the mission of God, God's plan to rescue the world. That's important because we've got to put our passage in its broader context. That Peter is not here simply spelling out a theology of church and state. He's talking about how you and I can live in the midst of a government that is not directly run by Jesus in such a way that God can rescue people and bring them to faith, that God's goal is to rescue the whole world. And Peter says that God has chosen us, taught us to obey, and wants us to live out our faith in the society in general with relationship to the government powers that be in such a way that God is able to rescue people in this world. Now, Peter gives us three principles governing our relationship to the state. The first one is found in verses 13 and 14. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14. Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Peter's first principle is, is that our job as Christians is to respect and obey the governing authorities, to respect and obey the governing authorities. That's what the word submit means. It doesn't just mean obey. Jump down to verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. It's not enough simply to obey the governing powers. Peter says that God is commanding us to respect them. Now, honestly, I think we're pretty good at the obedience piece. I'm not so sure we're good at the respect piece. Now, I think it's important to note that when Peter's writing this, the emperor that he's talking about is most likely a man named Claudius. It could possibly be Nero, but in either case, we're not talking about a Christian guy. Claudius, you may remember, is the one who expelled Christians from the city of Rome. He's the one that exiled Christians from the city of Rome. And Nero, he's the emperor that Peter loses his life under because of persecution. 
that neither of these men are godly men. Neither of these men live in any sort of moral way. Neither of these men are like Jesus in any way at all. Yet Peter is saying we are to honor them. See, there's nothing in here that says honor your leaders if you think they're good leaders. There's nothing in here that says honor the position but not the person. Jesus is quite clear. Respect those who are in positions of authority. Not based on whether you agree with them or don't agree with them. It's fine to not agree with them. But what's not allowed is disrespect and disobedience. But we struggle with this. We have no problem listening to a talk radio program in which the host is running down elected leaders and government officials, whether it be the mayor, Mayor Hartwell, or Governor Schneider, or President Obama, or whoever it may be. We think nothing of it, but that's the way of the world. That's not what God says. God says, give respect and obedience to those who are in positions of authority. What does it mean to respect them? Well, Jesus gave us a pretty simple rule. And the rule is you and I should talk about Mayor Hartwell or Governor Snyder or President Obama the way we would want our children or grandchildren or spouse to talk about us when they don't agree with us. We should talk about them the way that we would like the people who work for us to talk about us when we're not around. That we should talk about those people the way that our patients or our clients or our students or the people who volunteer under us in the community the way we want them to talk about us when we're not around or they don't agree with us. Respect, Jesus says, is not that hard. Simply treat other people the way you want to be treated when you're not there or when they don't agree with you. Need an example of what this looks like? Consider Jesus before Pontius Pilate. As Jesus is standing trial before Pontius Pilate, you have an incredible abuse of power by a government official. You have the worst miscarriage of justice in history. A man who has done nothing wrong is being given the death penalty. I mean, not nothing wrong that deserved the death. Nothing wrong at all. And the government official is abusing his power. Yet, Jesus does not malign him. He does not speak evil about him. Jesus submits to Pilate's authority. He even says to him, hey, look, you wouldn't have any authority if it wasn't given to you by God. But he recognizes that Pilate has been given authority by God. Jesus certainly doesn't agree with Pilate. He certainly doesn't think that he's done anything that's worthy of the death penalty. But he doesn't set out to verbally abuse him or to malign him or to undercut him. He submits to the governing authorities. And that's what he expects from us. Principle number one, to respect and obey those who are in positions of authority in the state 
over us. Principle number two comes out of verses 15 and 16. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. The second principle is, is that Peter wants us to bless the community in which we live, where he says it's God's will that by doing good, he means doing good in relationship to the state, doing good in relationship to the political powers that be. Israel was given a similar command when they were sent into exile. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, God said to the nation of Israel, also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God was calling the nation of Israel to live in exile in such a way they would be a blessing to the country in which they live. Remember, this was God's plan. God chooses people. We obey, and that allows God to bless others. Peter is saying that's our job in relation to the state. God has put us. We live as exiles in this world. This world is not our home. Jesus is not directly running this world. Instead, we have the U.S. government and the Chinese government and the Brazilian government. And here in America, we, under, we are under federal and state and local government. And Peter says Jesus has put us in this place so that we might be a blessing to the political powers that be around us. On September 14th of this year, Calvary Church participated in uh, the mayor's Grand River cleanup. This was the 10th anniversary Grand River cleanup, and it was the largest. And the mayor was very excited about this. We participated at Calvary Church, and uh, the mayor came over and spoke to our executive pastor, Steve Gibson, who was there, and he thanked him. And he thanked him because this was the 10th anniversary uh, cleanup, and we had uh, brought the highest number of people to participate. Of the 800 people that were there to be part of this Grand River cleanup, 30% of them, about 240 people were from Calvary Church. Because of that, this was the largest uh, event in its history in, in the 10 years that it had been. And it happens to be the largest sort of river cleanup that we have uh, sort of in the country or in the Midwest at least. And so he wanted to come and thank Calvary Church for being willing to participate. Now, we also gave a small monetary sum so that we could be a sponsor, along with places like Founders Brewery and Steelcase and GVSU and, and people like that. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but we wanted to do our part and participate. And the mayor acknowledged Calvary Church's presence and the fact that because we were there and brought so many people, we had made this uh, a smashing success and had exceeded their expectations. That's what Peter's talking about. Be a blessing to the community in which you live. Do good. Even though the world may speak evil of you, as a community of faith, be a blessing to the city in which I put you. And so that when people see that, they can be drawn to faith in Jesus. The river cleanup's just a small example of that. An example of the way God has commanded us, look, it doesn't do anybody any good 
for this world to be filled with pollution, for this world to be filled with crime, for this world to be filled with anarchy. He says, you are the people of God living in the midst of the state. Be a blessing to them. Be a blessing. That's principle number two. Bless the community into which I have put you, God says. Principle number three, and I, I think this one's the most important. It comes out of verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. emperor. And the third principle that Peter gives us is that we must keep the state and God in proper perspective. Keep our relationship to the state and our relationship to God in proper perspective. I get that out of the fact that Peter has given us four commands in verse 17. They're connected to one another. I know this because command number one and command number four both use the same verb in Greek even though it's translated differently in English. Show proper respect and honor the emperor are both the same word. And what Peter is saying is, is that our attitude to the general society and our attitude to the governing authority is that we are to show respect. But the middle two commands, the ones related to the family of believers and the one related to God, use much stronger words. Commands one and four, respect. Commands two and three, love the family of believers and fear God. Those are much bigger, much stronger, much more important words. And what Peter is saying is, look, we have a relationship to the state, but it pales in comparison to our relationship to the community of faith and to our relationship with God. That Peter is saying that our relationship to the general environment, to the governing powers, is superseded by our relationship to the family of believers. And that our relationship to the state is derived from and superseded by our relationship to God. We respect the state, but we fear God. We love people, or we we respect people in society, but we love the family of believers. What this means is, is the river cleanup that we did, that's great, but that's only a small piece of what we're about. We spend more time and more effort here amongst ourselves as a church loving one another. That if you went and participated in the river cleanup, thank you very much for obeying God and being a blessing to the city. But it's more important that you join a small group and that you participate in loving and caring for those that God has put you with here in the community of faith. We've got to keep these in proper perspective. We are to be a blessing to the city in which we find ourselves, but even more so to the brothers and sisters of Jesus that are with us here in this community. It also means that if your public school forbids you from talking about Jesus, that you have to realize that it's better to obey God than to obey men. Now, it's important to be respectful It's important to be as unobtrusive about doing it as possible. But the state does not have the authority to command us to disobey God. 
Now, I'm not just talking about things you don't like. <laughs> I'm talking about when the state says you may not talk to people about Jesus. Peter's been in that situation before. And he says, look, I respect you. I want to respect the rules as much as I can. But I fear God. And God's commanded me to share Jesus wherever I can. Now, again, you can do it in a respectful way. But what this means is we must keep our relationship to the state and our relationship to God in proper perspective. It also means we need to understand that our relationship to the state is derived from our relationship to God. Notice what it says in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, for it is God's will. Verse 16, live as God's slaves. Everything that Peter wants to say to us about our relationship to the state becomes first and foremost out of our relationship with God. That how we treat the governing authorities flows out of our relationship with God. Now, frankly speaking, some of us in our relationship to the governing authorities then are guilty of idolatry at this point. That we give the governing authorities too much power and respect. Take the Affordable Care Act for an example. Now, I'm not here to say whether this is good legislation or not. That's not the point. The point is, too many people are concerned that the Affordable Care Act is going to limit access to good medical care. But what if it does? What difference does that make? God is the source of our health. God is not limited by the kind of medical insurance we have. How do you think it makes God feel that we're running around down here railing about insurance, being fixated on, on the kind of medical coverage we have when God sits in heaven and says, am I not your provider? Am I not your healer? Will I not take care of you? To give so much time and so much energy to worrying about these things, God's saying, you've got your perspectives wrong. You're fearing the state and only respecting me. Try fearing me and only respecting the state. Look, the point is, is we're not here to say this is a good thing or a bad thing. The point is, look, God's still in control. And when we get so fixated on what the government is doing and the policies that they're passing and how that's going, we give too much credence to the authorities that be instead of the God who sits in heaven and says, is my arm too short? The Lord is for us. Don't be afraid. What can mortal man do to you? When we allow ourselves to think my life is going to fall apart because I don't have the insurance I want or it costs more money or I don't know what the... What we're saying is, God, you've lost control. And he sits on his throne and says, no, I have not. Respect the authorities, but do not fear them. God is the only one that we fear. And you can tell what you fear by the thing you spend the most time talking about and thinking about. And frankly speaking, you and I ought to spend less time worrying about what the state is doing and more time celebrating what God is doing. 
when Jesus was asked the question, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? He said, give me a coin. Whose image is on that? The answer was, it's Caesar's. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Jesus' point was, look, Caesar wants more in taxes? Fine, so what? Give it to him. It's all his anyway. You don't belong to this world. That money, that money's uh, this world's money. He wants more of his money back? Give it back to him. What difference does it make? You and I, Jesus says, we belong to God. The point is, is the coin's made in the image of Caesar. We're made in the image of God. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. You and I belong to God. And Jesus' point is, is, look, if you and I disrespect and disobey the governing authorities, we've forgotten the fact that we belong to God and God put those governing authorities in place. He put them in place. First Peter is very clear about that. Jesus' point is, is that when we withdraw from society, we want nothing to do with the community around us. We don't want to bless anybody except people that we like or that we know or who know Jesus. Jesus is saying, you have forgotten you belong to God and God has commanded you, be a blessing to the community in which I have placed you. And when you and I get fixated on how much we're paying in taxes or the policies of our local public school or whether the laws read exactly the way we want them to read, Jesus is saying, you have forgotten that you belong to God that God is our healer, God is our doctor, God is our teacher, God is our judge, God is our provider, God is our retirement, God is our everything. Give it back to Caesar, it's his anyway. You and I belong to God and God will take good care of us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us, all of us, for our idolatry. Lord, we have thought for too long that what the state does and the policies it passes is what affects our lives and guides where we will head. Lord, remind us from your word that it's what you say. It's what you do. You're the one who lifted us out of the miry pit. You're the one who rescued us. You're the one who redeemed us. You're the one who sits upon the throne. Lord, the nations rage against you and you scoff in laughter. Lord God, there is nothing that the state can do. If you are for us, Lord, who can be against us? What could ever separate us from your love? It's not taxes or policies or elections or procedures. God, you are stronger and bigger and greater than all of that. God, forgive us. We are a wayward people. Our hearts so easily turned away from you to follow after idols. Help us instead, Lord, to be a blessing, a blessing to the city of Grand Rapids, a blessing to the state of Michigan, a blessing to the United States. Help us, Lord, to do good in such a way that though the church is spoken of as evil, they may see our good deeds and come to faith in Jesus and glorify him on the day he returns. Lord, forgive us for disrespecting those that you have put in authority over us. 
Lord, I'm pretty sure that all of us in this room have said things about elected officials that we shouldn't have said. That Lord, if we had realized that you were present in that room with us, we would want those words back. Lord, we glory in your grace and in your forgiveness, but we do ask that you would help us to be a respectful people. That you would help us to obey, that you would help us to be the kind of people. Lord, it's amazing to me that you think politics is a way to bring people to faith. God, we've engaged in politics in such a ways to push people away from you. Help us to repent of that and to become the kind of people who use our engagement in the state to draw people to you. Lord God, no one has any idea what political party Jesus belonged to, what his, th what his thoughts were about Caesar or Pilate or about any of those things. Help us to be like him. Help us to set our minds so clearly on the hope that we have that's coming when he appears, that all the things around us simply fade from view. Lord, we are a weak people and cannot do this without your strength. And so in the power of your spirit, would you make this happen so that we might be obedient for Christ's sake. Amen.